Greetings. I'm Kathy Bird, broadcasting with Fresh Art International Live inside the Untitled Art Fair on Miami Beach. And my guests today are Rog Vartanian and Sheridan Loudon. I'm really thrilled for you to be here. First, I'll introduce us because a lot of people might not know, even though we're famous, who we are. I'm an independent curator, writer, and educator, also a podcaster for over five years now. And for two decades, I've been working in the field of contemporary art. I launched Fresh Art International in 2011 from Park Bench in Brooklyn. And I have been bringing you a radio show on Jolt Radio for the last few months. And today, for the next, for today and the next four days, I'll be bringing you a daily show live at Untitled Art Fair and a project called Untitled Radio inside the Art Fair tent. Then I want to introduce Sharon Loudon, an artist who exhibits nationally. She's a senior critic at the New York Academy of Art. She's editor of Living and Sustaining a Creative Life, a publication from 2013 that's now in its sixth printing. Yeah, thank you. That's pretty thrilling. Thanks. I'm, I'm very grateful and amazed that it's gotten to six printings. And we're here today to talk specifically about a new publication in which Prague Vartanya is involved. Um, Prague is this amazing phenom, editor-in-chief, co-founder of Hyperallergic. Everybody knows the name of Hyperallergic. We all follow it in the contemporary art scene, and we're really grateful for the coverage you give. Oh, thank you. That's so kind of you. Prague is also a curator and visiting critic around the world. He will be presenting a public talk at Art Basel Miami Beach, a conversation in the main fair. Yeah. His publication reaches over a million people a month. So, you know, we're glad to be in the same room with him. Big room here today at Untitled Art Fair. Uh, Rog v- wrote the foreword for Sharon's book, and so he's, he's embedded in this project in a way, uh, committed to it in a way that's made it really great for Sharon, and it's great for me to have both of you on this show. So let's first talk about, I guess from Sharon, what's the inspiration for this book? Well, the, the first book came about because um, I was doing a panel at the College Art Association, and then my publisher was in the audience. You never know who's in the audience, ever. And she came up to me afterwards and she said, you should really do a book. And I said, I can't write very well. I can't do a book. But she said, what if you were to do a book? And I said, why don't I ask 40 people, 40 artists, to talk about how they sustain a creative life, just to start a conversation. So then I did this huge 62-stop book tour all over the country and heard a lot of artists, what they needed how they felt, who they were, introduced themselves to me. So the second book is much more complex. I wanted to talk about how artists not only have a practice in their studios, but then extend it out into the public realm. So the 40 people I chose out of about 400 artists, they are people who are very generous. They create communities. They... Uh, do projects that are not only in the market as we're seeing here today, they have an arm in the art world, but then they also extend themselves, like I said, out into the public realm in many different ways. It's a much bigger book. It's 400, over 400 pages. 
And we're doing an 80 stock book tour this time around that starts on March 2nd. Because I think that a book is a platform for a conversation to continue um, talking about these issues that I present in the book. Yeah. And who do you think uh, is the reader? Who's your audience for this sort of publication? Everyone. I'm, say again? Everyone. You're offering the inside story, the the roots, the impetus, the inspiration, and the giving that's part of being an artist that a lot of people don't understand. You know, by that artist as cultural culture producer, that's a giving aspect of art that people don't always think about. And your your focus is what they can give to communities. So I appreciate. Giving. I totally appreciate you saying that and recognizing that. But I also think it's also about how artists can give to one another because I think that that still needs to happen more and so it's not only a charge for the public to understand who an artist is today but it's also a charge for artists to be able to create opportunities and give and fuel and feed this community that we're in. So the artists in this book are more models of what of a potential engagement well, I think, think it's often, you know, artists are taught to be creative in every aspect of their lives. And sometimes, though, you know, you have to remind them that it's also the models they create in actually living. It's not just about the work they're putting out into the world. It's actually the communities they're creating. It's like the way they choose to sort of, you know, financially support themselves. I mean, these are all parts of the creativity of artists and that's what they're so good at and we're kind of in an era where those models are more important than ever because the old ways aren't working for everyone you know I think we all feel that in different kinds of ways so you know if artists can start creating models that are a little more innovative that are going to be you know challenging the status quo in different ways or even just sort of wondering hey is that you know should I only be concerned about galleries should I only be concerned about museums should I you know like start wondering about all those aspects and start creating questions and you know working with other people to figure out the answers yeah, I think that's critically important and I'm wondering what what cultural communities what communities are represented in this book wow well this time around I mean I learned a lot from doing that first book so the I did, the first book, I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I just got involved in something blind, and it was a lesson for me, and also an education about public uh, publishing. And so, and from that tour, like I said, I learned a lot, and I gained a lot of information. So this time around, I made the book much more diverse. I made it uh, much more expansive in different ways. I have Wendy Redstar, who's from Portland, Oregon, who's a Native American artist who's from the Crow Reservation, was raised in Montana on a reservation, and like I said, lives in Portland. I have Andrew Zattel is in this book, um, who is who creates a, a lot of opportunities for artists in California. And then you have the Dufalo brothers in Philadelphia, who have a uh, residency, it's called the Recycling Residency. Uh, so you have all different people in this book. It's very elastic. Edgar Arsenault, who's in Los Angeles, who's just amazing and all the different things he does. I mean, each one of these artists creates their different communities around them, but it's far-reaching. Every one of these artists has a very far-reaching community, um, but they're all very different. 
And some are working as collectives, some are working as individuals mm -hmm. in their community. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, uh, how would you describe some of the social and economic contexts in which they're working? Well, you know, I wrote the foreword for the book, and, the, and one of the things I tried to emphasize there was these are questions that have always existed. You know, and I start with an anecdote from the Renaissance where, you know, we always like to talk about money now, you know, but at the same time during the Renaissance, the most famous artists were not the ones necessarily making the most money. You know, and it's good to remember that. It's good to remember that it's not always about that. Do you know, some of them were making work that we don't even remember. There are, I think it was the second richest artist in the Renaissance. I mean, nobody I know has ever heard the name before. Do you know, and it's, and, and it's just a reminder that the fact that we need to separate those elements out sometimes when we're thinking about not only work, but about legacies and about what ideas other generations are going to take. And the truth is sometimes we don't even know what they're going to take, do you know, from these bigger questions that are being asked and the solutions that are being made. Um, and, you know, and we'd, I think we'd be really, uh, it would be really bad if we thought we knew what future generations would want from what's going on right now sometimes. Yeah, I, I do see, though, here we are having this conversation inside an art fair. Yes. So uh, I think it's, it's very, it speaks a lot to Untitled. They invited me to bring any kind of conversation I wanted into the fair context. And, of course, we want the book to be distributed. But we're having conversations about real life and, and the idea that there are socially, there are artist agent type projects going on in the fairs in some ways. Statements that are being made, uh, projects that are being presented that are social statements themselves. So artists wanting, even in the media, to be, no? Um. You know, but I think it's speaking to a very influential small demographic right now in the fair, and that's fine because I think that demographic is going to influence, and a lot of those people are going to be part of a much bigger, you know, like it's going to project those ideas into different places. But, you know, this is just part of one part of a much bigger ecosystem, and that's totally fine because it's an important part, but it's still just one part of a much bigger thing. And I think anybody would agree that that... You know, there are a lot of different circles, and every project doesn't work in each of those little eco, like micro ecosystems in the bigger ecosystem. Yeah, I agree. Like coming here, and I'm blogging for Two Coats of Paint here while I'm here this week, and some people have come back to me and saying, "Ew, gross, the art fairs, right?" And I say to them, "I think it's great because there's an avenue for. I mean, behind every one of these pieces is an artist who made this work, and there's an avenue for them to be able to." hopefully uh, get some sales behind this to, that it goes back into their productivity. And that's what I want to see. I want to see this as, uh, I, I don't know if I necessarily need to have this continue to happen maybe like this. It could transform and change itself and grow into something else. I'm open to that. But I do think that there's, that if artists can show here and they can sell their work and it goes back into their productivity, so be it. And I think that's great. So let's talk about what are the creative economies for artists today outside the art market how what are the creative economies that I mean there's so many <laughs> well teaching that's a definitely one I think it's in some ways even more than the art market is probably one of the most stabilizing forces of artist communities in the world because you know the market exists in some communities but the reality is almost education and like teaching 
for artists exists everywhere. You know, whether it's in a high school or whether it's in a college or something. So I think we have to acknowledge that. Education's always been an integral part of what we do. I agree. And a lower-funded, maybe sub-funded area that more artists could get involved in is writing about art. Right. A lot of artists that have skills, and, and we need more voices. Sure. I know I'm an Absolutely. art writer, you're an art yeah. writer, you are. Uh, we need more voices to represent what's going on in the field besides just those of us who uh, are making it happen now. Sure, so I but, think that's an encouragement. but no one's going to get rich in art writing. <laughs> true. That's not, a, that's, not a, that's not a creative field. But no one's going to get rich on teaching anymore either. That's true. That's you're right. True. So, I think. No, it's so still it's, certainly more stable, I think. True. And I know when I'm at uh, Common Field uh, convened yes. here right. a few Courtney weeks Fink, ago. Courtney who, Fink, yeah. who wrote the, one of the concluding statements in my book. Yeah, and Stephanie Sherman, who's done a lot of writing fantastic. as well. They're both fantastic. And they talk about you know the sustainability of experimental spaces. And everyone I met at that convening, they have like five jobs still. Correct. So how long, you know, we would hope our vision, our dream is that there'd be a, a little more balance, a way for someone to not be working 24-7 to reach their dream. But I think it's normal in the creative uh, fields that that's the dedication level. But I wonder whether our aspiration is to make it a 9-to-5 job. Do you know what I mean? Like, meaning, like, like I'm just wondering, like, what, because what, I, I think this is something the art community is still figuring out. Like, what are our dreams of, like, how would we create creative lives? And how long, you know, when does it start? When does it end? What would our lives look like? What would our days look like? How would that, I, I, I don't know because, you know, I'm working 24-7 and I'm doing what I love. But that's kind are. of reality. Yeah, we exactly. Are. Absolutely. And I'm wondering, though, you think about it, artists as culture producer, are they generating any resources for themselves or is it a community service? Ooh, that's a great question. That's a good question. Um, I think, I think that, I think, well, I think it's both. I mean, they have to, I think that they're sustaining themselves, and I think that also they're, they, they do have a lot of different, um, I don't want to say jobs necessarily, but different sources of income. And I think that the definition of an artist today is not what it used to be. It's not so singular. Um, but in this book, I, I pick people who have way different ways in which that they sustain a creative life. So there's Brett Wallace who was actually hired by LinkedIn because he's an artist and he manages about 50 people in that in that sorry, he manages 50 people in that organization or in that company rather. And to me that's just one avenue in, as far as the corporate sector. Also the private sector, as you said, Harag teaching um, developing residencies for other artists, studio studios, I mean, real estate. Artists have been involved in real estate for years and years and years. So there's all different ways in which artists can be um, produce culture today. Right, and I was just at convening. At the convening, they were talking about these amazing collective mm-hmm. ownership projects for property, yeah. uh, property purchase and development and, and building into them a legacy of housing for for artists and culture makers. So I'm, I'm, in general, pretty excited about that. I thought it'd be fun to talk about two of the projects represented in the book that are based at the center of the political storm right now. Uh, Kara Ober in Baltimore with her Be More Art, mm-hmm. and then Zoe Charlton and Tim wow. Dowd with their <laughs> syndicate 
they're making they're in a zone that's going that's quite fraught right now and will continue to be not that the rest of the country won't be feeling it but um, tell me a little bit about what they're doing as cultural producers or our audience I'm familiar with them and I love their work but I thought it'd be good to give two specific models I mean Kara is a dynamo as you probably know she created Be More Art, which is a magazine, but they also do events, and they, uh, they have an online magazine and a print journal, and they just launched their third magazine. And she's trying to raise the level as far as the um, recognition of culture in Baltimore. And I was at the magazine launch in Baltimore a couple of weeks ago. It was packed. There's so much support for this in Baltimore because I don't think that they have a commercial infrastructure that's very strong. So in communities such as Baltimore, Las Vegas, um, and other small rural areas that are even smaller cities than Baltimore and Las Vegas, they have to have, they have to figure out, artists have to figure out what to do without a commercial infrastructure. And so she's sort of filling the gap. But also Zoe and Tim, as you said, created Syndicate, and they're right in the heart of where most of the unrest is. And they're in this building that is owned by Stuart Watson, who's an artist who also has a space called Area 405, which is 10,000 square feet on the bottom floor. And they're doing a lot there to bring people together in such a, uh, difficult, a place that is very difficult and has a lot of uh, violence and unrest, as I said. So I guess we'll... S- thinking about summing up what the potential of artists and creative economies are, you were saying it'd be hard to predict what the creative economies are going to be. Right. Well, I mean, I think it's, I think we don't know what it is because art, the art world, you know, or worlds, plural, really just reflect the greater forces in society. As much as we'd like to think we can sort of recreate everything all the time, we're often just responding or trying to supplement what the quote-unquote rest of the world doesn't give us. You know what I mean? Meaning like whether it's economically or whatever. So we're going to have to figure out. I mean, our anxiety right now is the fact that government funding federally might dwindle and people are going to have to find ways to fund different kinds of projects. People are really anxious about any kind of funding that way. We're also, you know, there's like a greater sort of anxiety about the fact that a lot of artists are making quote-unquote luxury art objects and what does that mean in our culture right now and how can you trace, trace, stay true to your values and still continue to sustain it and those types of things. So these are all different things that I think are going to become more and more part of that. Uh, I think about Cuba and the question of whether our relationship with Cuba will be continuing to open and all the flood of new opportunities that were starting to come in for those artists and the exchanges and that thought, can we, what can we do to help continue to build those relationships that we've started? But at the same time, being conscious that they have their own culture and they should be allowed to like sort of develop it in their own way. Absolutely. Too. So no, important. absolutely. I just meant in terms of the... Cuban artists that I know Absolutely. that were appreciating the new opportunities to uh, bring their voices outside their country. And I guess the last question I'm thinking that pertains to this uh, particular publication is, uh, and the future of your next publication, <laughs> Sharon, <laughs> what new roles do you see artists taking on in today's political climate oh my God. globally? Just 
even one role that you think artists... I mean, I wish they would run for office. That would I be mean, great. I would love it. I would love to run for office. I'd like for them to be more involved in the political spectrum, in those communities, in the public. I think the role of the artist should be more inter- integrated in the public. And that was a big... Um, a big thing in my mind, a big intention in my mind for the second book is that I wanted to, actually the, the main audience for this book really is not the art world, that secondary is the public. And for me, I want to create those bridges where artists can cross over into the public realm. And I think the more we're integrated and accepted, if you will, the more productivity there's going to be. And I think everybody uh, raises to another level um, when that happens, when artists are involved. Um, so that's what I can see. I want them to be more involved in the in the opportunities in politics that are already set and, and position them. If we had an artist in every public school that was planted there, a practicing artist in every public school, but also maybe in, in, in every administration we have more artists who are active from the front lines, I think it would be a lot better. I mean, it sounds very general. It would be better in many different ways, and that's a whole other conversation. But I think it would just enhance and create more opportunities for everybody. Can I jump in for a second? Absolutely. Well, you know, the director of the Mercado Museum in Brooklyn, she became a city councilor, right? Really? And it's like, right. yeah. Right. So there's that, but Lori, also... Lori Combo. Yeah, Lori oh, Combo yeah. as an example that's of right. like, you know, so it, there are examples there. And then the other thing is, let's also not forget that so many artists were school teachers. You know, mm-hmm. like, you know, the Mark Rothkos and all these people. And I wish sometimes artists would talk more about those quote-unquote day jobs because I think it also makes it feel more accessible to new people to want to enter the art world and not this kind of rarefied environment where everyone feels like they have to sell all only work to become considered accepted. You know, because I, you know, honestly, I walk into a gallery, I walk into a studio, I never ask people, where do you show? What do you, like, I don't care. I don't care as a critic. I don't care as a writer. You just want to see good work. Exactly, exactly. And I and I I share Sharon's dream of that. Like I'd like there to be an artist in residence in every major corporation, organization, exactly. public institution. I mean, they they were talking about they created a position of artist in residence in the Immigration Bureau in the city of New York. Mm-hmm. You know, Tanya, Tanya Bergera. Bergera. Right. And then so like this is an example. That what a great idea. Embed the artists in meaningful uh, elements of the infrastructure of every city. That's right. Because we have a lot to contribute. I have to say one more thing about that is Julia Kunin, who's in my second book. She has been she's a huge activist, has been working in a private all boys school for 18 years, and so she's an activist there and trying to change that culture, trying to change that culture, and trying to be able to not only the culture of that school, but trying to really help these boys growing up and exposing them to the arts and what that means. And so I think planting people is a great idea. So now tell us how we find your book. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm so excited about it. Uh, So the book will be um, available on, uh, I think it's going to be available, well, it's available to pre-order now. You can get it uh, through University of Chicago Press's website or Amazon or any major um, bookseller, and then um, in addition to that, uh, it'll be available widely as of I think the end of February. And our first 
stop on the book tour is at the Strand at 7 o'clock on March 2nd. New York City. In New York City. has to be at the Strand. I love that bookstore. It's great. Super. And you're going on a book tour after. Yes. yes. And you'll still be alive at the end of that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, 80 stops. I was looking at it yesterday, and I'm not quite sure, but... I have to do it. I have to do 80 stops. And it's global. It's not it's just global, the right? U.S. So I it's like kind that. of... It's kind and of, the global uh, cultural producers are in, in, are covered in this uh, in this book. Correct. There's somebody from Scotland, um, Manila, Australia, and London. Uh, and then the next book I do, the third book, Last Artist Standing, and which Israel. is... And Israel. Correct, in Israel. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, the la- the next book will be um, the third book will even be more contributors that will be from uh, outside of the U.S. And that title of that book is Last Artist Standing. It's basically artists over fifty, mostly women. I guess I'm going to be in that book. <laughs> <laughs> I can talk to you about I'm that looking later. Looking forward to that. <laughs> now I think we've got a couple of minutes to talk about what we've experienced so far with Art Week in Miami and any observation you'd like to make about what you've seen that you liked especially and what you're looking forward to? Well, I thought the Perez Museum is right now all the shows up at the Perez is fa- are fantastic. And then they have the, uh, the, the show up, the Julio Le Park show, the retrospective that's up, which is quite wonderful. I mean, so that's really great. Um, the Irina Hyduck show uh, piece at the main fair at the Art Basel Miami Beach, that's a really wonderful performance piece um, that involves uh, U- Yugoslavian uh, candy shops, and, and you get to choose whether you get candy from the fascist period or the communist period or an imperial period, period from Belgrade, which is a really sort of interesting in our time right now, thinking about different economic and government systems so you know you're right like there is potential in some place like an art fair or at this beat in during art week to really sort of make people wonder about bigger ideas beyond just the quote-unquote commerce of art and i think that's an interest this year that you can't deny among the creative community globally mm-hmm. it's a time to make statement and continue to be involved like you said absolutely. to be involved more than ever absolutely Um, I also, at this point, want to talk about what uh, you still want to see. Any anything you have on your schedule? I have so much. I have the locust projects I want to go to. I want to go to uh, Nada, of course, and as well as I mean, I just got done entitled, and I'm excited to see everything here. And you know, it's like there's so much to see in the city and I was just talking to a bunch of people that are like native uh, to Miami earlier today and it's just everyone says like it's the last five years this place has exploded for art and I think that's really great and I think there are unique parts like a lot of the art scene here is very much led by collectors in some ways and I think that's good but it's also you know there are negatives of course but that's like it creates this energy that there's new potential um, for new different things that makes Miami unique in this bigger art world. What I see about the collectors, their contemporary collectors we're talking about, they're very open to experiments, to, uh, to trying new things that they might... Just testing. I feel like Miami is a place where things can be created that weren't here before. That's not a finished sentence like some art scenes where it seems like everybody knows who they are and where they belong. 
everyone's growing into their roles here, and I think that's really interesting. Um, I did want to point out that tonight uh, we just did a radio show at Jolt Radio uh, this morning oh, cool. <laughs> with Nama Sabar, and she talked about her performance, uh, sound performance projects that she's doing in Collins Park and at Spinello Projects tonight between 8 and 10. She'll be performing with girl bands, uh, Composition 18, and it's going to be a pretty interesting project. I went to rehearsal the other night. Also coming up, more shows on Fresh Art International, and tomorrow my guests will be related to the More is More at the Wolfsonian, if you haven't been by there yet, with artist-designer Christy Vanderhoek and Sharon Mestia and Sylvia Barisioni from the Wolfsonian will be here in conversation about what it meant for her to respond to modern Dutch design that's in an exhibition there and what it um, means to take over a building with your designs and to immerse a building in your work in the way that she did. Maybe the most monumental project that is around. That shows tomorrow at 1 p.m. and I thank you too for being my first guest on my first show at Untitled Radio. Well, thank, thank you. you. This is fun. Thank you Great so much, pleasure. Kathy. It's, I'm really grateful that, that you asked us to be here. Thank you so much. Wonderful. And Basel Top. Basel Top. <laughs>